Welcome to the PCS to Corporate America podcast from Cameron Brooks. Our mission here at Cameron Brooks is to help educate junior military officers about their transition options and to inspire veterans to transform their lives and their careers. Okay, welcome everyone. This is the post-January career conference. Excited to have our alumni here. If our alumni could give me a thumbs up, can you hear me? Yes, thumbs up. Perfect. Yeah, we did a little comps check before we got started, but uh, just wanted to make sure that it worked. So welcome, everyone. I'm excited to bring this uh, this iteration of our post-conference review. You know, we do this after every conference. And the reason I think it's so valuable and so helpful is because there's a lot of uncertainty in most of your lives. Most of you listening to this uh, live are probably coming to a conference in April or June or maybe August of this year, 2023. So there's probably a little uncertainty. There's a little bit of nervousness, perhaps. And so what I feel like, the, the reason I think these are so valuable is because you get to hear from people who literally came to the conference about a month or so ago. They've all accepted an, a position. So I'm excited to get them talking, uh, tell you a little bit about the companies they're going to work for, and um, and answer your questions. And so what we'll do tonight is, um, and I've got, a, I've got a little bit of an agenda here. Um, we'll I'll give you some statistics from the conference, talk about the companies and positions. I'll talk a little bit about location in general, and then we'll get straight to listening to the alumni. So I'll probably, maybe this takes me 10 minutes, maybe. I don't want to spend a lot of time doing this, though, because I want to spend most of our time uh, uh, getting uh, our most recent alumni talking, introducing themselves and talking. So um, you can see on the last bullet there, it says it, you can start typing your question. You may not have any questions, but if you do have any questions that you know you have coming in, you can start typing them that your questions into the chat. Um, I've got some pre-positioned questions, if you will, that I sent them before we got started. And we'll work through those first because a lot of times that will answer some of the questions and things that you guys are thinking about. Um, but it's fair game. I want to give you as much time as you want to uh, to engage them. Um, and a lot of times, once we start talking, questions start to form in your mind. So we'll do that. So let's talk a little bit about the conference stats. The average number of interviews at the conference was 10.7 interviews per candidate at the November 2023. That's a typo because that hasn't occurred yet. That would be a future conference. At the November 2022 conference, sorry, uh, the average number of interviews was one more. So this conference was um, uh, 10.7 interviews per candidate. At the la very last conference, November 22, it was 11.7. The median number, that's kind of the middle number, was about 11 per candidate. And most candidates had around 10 interviews. That's the mode. And so the median and mode from the November 22 conference was 12 and 11. So that's very consistent. We're seeing one fewer interview on average per officer at the candidate. And we'll get into why here in just a second. The pursuit rate, this is an interesting number. This is the number of yeses relative to the number of interviews. So in every interview at the conference, it eventually will turn into either a yes or a no. And so the pursuit rate at 70.2 was the, for the whole group, was the average number of yeses relative to the total amount of interviews. You can see that in November of 2022, I sent these slides to, to the team and they didn't correct me on that. So I'm not sure why they didn't. But regardless, at November 2022, the pursuit rate was 78.4. That is a significant 
uh, delta between the pursuit rate and the very last conference in November 2023 or <laughs> 2022 and 23. And so why is that? And this is probably the most important thing I want to say tonight. Um, you've got to interview with the economy in mind. You know, when we came out of the pandemic, so in 2020, we didn't cancel any conferences. So we still had all five of our conferences in 2020. But in April of 2020, the average number of interviews was 7.2. And they progressively got higher. And by early 2021, the average number of interviews was up to around 11, or, or I'm sorry, around 12 or so. And it progressively got hotter and hotter. So all, most of 21, certainly the back half of 21, all of 2022, the labor market was extremely tight, very hot labor market, so much so that it was either the June or the August 2022 conference, I can't remember which one, we were putting companies on a waiting list to attend the conference. That's the first time that had, had ever happened. And it happened for most of the, at least the back half, back half of 2022. Come 2023, January 23, you can see that the numbers are different. And what I would say, and this is what I said to the group before we got started, there was a definite palpable difference in terms of the labor market. First of all, we didn't have a waiting list for the January 2023 conference. And there's just a palpable difference in the economy. And what I would say to that is, yeah, there are headwinds in the economy. The, the interest rate is still very high. Inflation is still very high. And so there's a response to that in the economy. Now, I think the important thing to appreciate about what I'm saying is, again, in the most uncertain of times, economic times, which is kind of the April, May, June timeframe of 2020, at least in, in recent memory, um, we didn't cancel a conference. So I think if you're listening to my voice, you can have high confidence that the April 2023, June, August, et cetera, they're going to be just fine in terms of having opportunities for candidates to interview. But the big point of this, you can put it, as you can see, I put it all caps in the slide here. You've got to interview with the inter, you got to interview with the economy in mind. And what I mean by that is a lot of times when people get close to a conference, you know, a lot of the extrinsic factors, you know, how much, where do I want to live? How much do I want to make? You know, what kind of industry do I want to work for? You know, maybe when the, the, the economy was, the, the labor market was as tight as it was and as hot as it was, there's an ability to do that. But my encouragement would be, don't forget your goal. Don't forget the, the, what you're trying to do. And what you're trying to do is do a broad career search to get in the best possible company for you in order to build a skill set that will allow you to grow and progress professionally. You're avoiding the career do-overs. And I want you to appreciate, while the market is not cold, there has been a little bit of a cooling off. And so don't forget, remember your goal. Remember what you're trying to do professionally as you make the move from the military to corporate America, and then interview with the in economy in mind, which means interview with the idea that I'm going to get as many companies as I can to pursue me. So that can give me a lot of choice and a lot of option as I make my decision on where I'm going to go next and what I'm going to do. And again, I want our alumni to speak to that when we get down to that part of the, uh, of the presentation. But I really just wanted you to hear that from me in terms of what's going on. Um, just, this is this was as of yesterday. Seventy-eight offers have been made. Thirty-four of those officers have accepted those positions. We've obviously, we got three on our on our thing here tonight. One point three offers per candidate. 
Um, and then the average days to placement is 13. That, that, that's in line. Maybe the offers per candidate rates a little bit lower, um, but that's generally in line with what we typically see. Uh, companies that came to the conference, this was not all of the companies, and I'm not going to introduce Motorola Solutions, Abbey or Med, or Nanotech, because those are the three companies that are represented and people that are represented, but other companies like Nextera Energy, which is um, uh, wind and solar, largest producer of wind and solar in the United States, Eli Lilly, major medical device pharmaceutical manufacturer, Boston Scientific is also Fortune 500 medical device com company. Komatsu is a global mining equipment company. Davida is a dialysis, one of the largest dialysis companies in the United States. Conagra, one of the largest food producers in the United States. Encore is a Fortune 500 facilities construction and management company uh, run by a former JMO himself, a guy named Tony, Tony Guzzi, uh, West Point graduate and, um, and um, uh, CEO of that company. ExxonMobil, obviously, that they need no introduction. Altec. Altec is a privately held company. They own about 90 or 85% of their market and they do, you know, simplistically bucket trucks, but they do other things as well, but very, very engineered vehicles for that type of work. Boston Beer Company probably doesn't need a huge introduction. They have a bunch of different varieties of beers and seltzers and things of that nature. And then PepsiCo, you obviously know that company as well. So this certainly wasn't all of the companies at the conference. There was probably five, see, about five times this number, but uh, but uh, just a smattering of companies that I thought maybe you would recognize or have seen before. And then, of course, the three companies I didn't introduce, I'm going to let our alumni do that when we get there. Some of the titles, and I'll do this very quickly, business analysis, had jobs like finance manager, senior program management, or manager, associate brand manager, and you can see the companies that those titles were associated with. Business to business sales, you can see some of their titles and companies associated. I think it's interesting, though, that you know, we talk business analysis, sales team, leadership, engineering, but then you look at the actual job titles and they, they're they different. Each one is different and, and associated with different companies, engineering management, and then uh, and then some team leadership roles. And so that gives you some perspectives of some of the companies you saw on the former slide or previous slide, and then a couple of other ones that weren't on the previous slide as well. As it relates to location, I was telling the group this um, uh, this, this is not actually indicative of every location that was at the conference, although it is a great representation. I actually made this slide in the past. It's a, it's a pretty tedious slide, so I didn't go back through every single location from this conference. But this slide is a, there's a point to make on this slide. It doesn't, it's, it's a little immaterial about the, you know, the, the eaches in terms of all of the roles, but the roles, the, the, the point I want to make is at the conference, there are a multitude of locations from east to west, north to south, and you may not be interested in east to west, north to south. You may be interested in certain regions and certain geographies, and, and that's okay. You don't, you're, that's, you're allowed to do that. You can certainly have preferences and we'll attend to those preferences. But the point I want to make is when we hold a career conference, um, not only do we have a broad array or variety of companies and industries, jobs represented, but obviously a very wide array of locations. Many of these on the screen probably are attractive to you and your family and what you guys are trying to do. And obviously, I heard Joel say this on a podcast that we did once, I don't know, a year ago, but he said, you know, we sweat location. And I thought, you know, I haven't really heard that expression before, but it's really true. I even said it today when I was talking to an officer about their transition. Um, yeah, we sweat location. And so um, 
uh, I think this slide is helpful because it give, just gives you a little bit of perspective. Uh, this is a little bit of an eye chart, but this is an actual physical sample interview schedule. I changed the name. It says John Bender. His, this, the person who interviews name is not John, but um, you can see in, in all of you, I know this looks very familiar to you on the call because this is ex it wasn't exactly what your schedule looked like. As a matter of fact, I guess there's a point to be made there. Every single interview schedule is tailor-made to the person. No, no two people at the conference had the exact same interview schedule, but this interview schedule for this person right here is just, and you can see, I'll draw on this a little bit, who they met with and the job that they were interviewing with, you know, the, the, um, the Microsoft Teams meetings So you'd click on the link and you'd get right to the link when the interview was. And, uh, and it, it, this says designator, it's generally who they're meeting with, but it's not exactly, it doesn't exactly mean that, but we'll explain all of that to you when you get to the conference. But when you come to the conference, this is a good representation of what you can expect. These were all of the interviews that John had on Monday. These are all of the interviews that John had on Tuesday. And essentially, when you interview, just walk through and you you click click on the Bitly link and you log on with the passcode and the uh, the meeting ID and passcode, and boom, you're in the meeting and boom, you're right into the interview. Some of you may have a question about what that actually looks like uh, with the group, and we'll uh, we'll we'll get to that here soon. I'm going to do this very very quickly, but I want to introduce people to you because you won't get to meet them face to face since we're doing a virtual interview, and you actually won't even see some of these people. So in this from right to left, you know Joel Junker. Um, and you know his role. Megan Miller plays a vital role with our client team, as does uh, Lauren Korczyk on the far left. Those two work very closely with Chuck Alvarez. And so uh, just having a little bit of a moment there. You know, these are all conference photos. And this right here is Chuck Alvarez, our president and CEO, and he's giving a briefing. Now, the board that he's briefing on is different. Um, the board that we're doing now, we've, we've introduced a smart board and we've actually got a full studio now. So it'll actually look a little bit different than what you won't, you won't see any of this behind the scenes anyway, but it'll look a little bit di di different. I want to introduce you to my colleague and good friend, Josie Sokoloff. You won't actually meet Josie, but you will talk to her or get an email or a calendar invite from her every single day. And she is like, sync calendar for the conference. She knows where everyone's at. She's got this very intricate spreadsheet uh, where everyone's at at all times and all places. And so anytime I need to know, you know, hey, where's Hannah? What interview is she in and where's she going? Um, uh, Josie knows exactly what's going on. This right here, similarly, Candy Belsink, the person smiling at the camera, does a very similar role from an operations leadership perspective. And Mary Lou White, who you'll get to know very well in the follow-up interview process, plays a role in that. Uh, and then of course, this is Rob Davis. A lot of you know Rob. This is not the setup anymore at this conference that they attended. Uh, we've got a whole studio, which I'm actually pointing out right now, which you can't see, but I didn't have any pictures for that, but I still wanted to show you kind of the idea of the uh, of what it looks like. And then if, this is uh, our fearless CEO watching the Masters Tournament. This is from a conference or two ago. All right, here we go. So now we're gonna let people introduce themselves so I'll do a very quick intro just to get some perspective. Why Boyd, Army Field Artillery, went to work at Abiomed or going to work at Abiomed in this program for about seven months. Hannah Legler, Naval Aviator, in the program for about two months, went to Motorola Solutions, and then Eric Paletti, uh, Submariner in the Navy, 19 months in the program, went to go work at More Nanotechnology. So I, wanna, I want you guys to go deeper with that. So if you would, we'll just go in order. 
If you would, actually, let's do one more thing real quick, and then I'm going to turn off the slide so we can we can see each other bigger. And so, again, for the group, they're going to introduce themselves, and then I've got questions that I've sent them to to get us warmed up. And so I'll walk them through some questions for maybe, you know, I don't know, for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And then again, I want you guys to have the opportunity to ask them any and everything you can. And so you can, everything's fair game. You can ask them whatever you want. I'll moderate, you type in the questions, I'll read out the questions and then we'll go from there. Okay, so that's where we're heading. I'm gonna stop the screen share now. And then we're just going to go around the horn and I'm going to let everyone introduce themselves. And so I'm just going to go in the order you are clockwise on my screen. So Eric, you're going to go first and, you know, do this. Who are you? Obviously, what did you do in the military? Um, and then what company are you going to and what do they do? Go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Eric Paletti. Um submarine officer, as we previously talked about. So I currently work at a place called the submarine learning facility. Uh, I accepted an offer at Moore Nanotechnology. Uh, so they're a smaller firm up in New Hampshire. They manufacture different uh, nanotechnology machines that can fabricate electro-optical devices and, and other things like that. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for the opportunity. Excellent. Thank you. And one of the questions we'll get into you all is why did you choose your company? Uh, and I'm, I'm a little bit chomping at the bit. I want to go ahead and go for that now, but I want to go around the little horn and let everyone introduce and then we'll, and then we'll get there. All right. Why go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Wyatt Boyd, FA officer, um, army. I'm here at uh, Fort Jackson, Columbia, uh, South Carolina. So I recently accepted a position with Abiumed, who is a, a new uh, division within J and J, but they work with um, heart devices and pellet devices and uh, you're looking, uh, you're going to be working and consulting in a operating room with heart surgeons and implementing these devices into individuals with heart failure. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. All right, Hannah, audio is connected. Okay. Can you hear me now? Got it. Okay. I had to go to the old school headphones. Sorry about Bro, that. All, all good. Um, so, hey, everyone. My name is Hannah Legler. I am a Naval Academy graduate. I was a Navy pilot. During my time in the Navy, I flew the MH-53 Echo and got a kind of a late start to Cameron Brooks. But in the two months, uh, just it was amazing. Uh, it was very fast paced, but really prepared me to uh, assume the role. I'm going to be working for Motorola Solutions uh, as a finance manager. And contrary to my original beliefs about Motorola, it's a lot more than just uh, the Razer phone. There's uh, Motorola Solutions has a whole array um, of mission critical devices uh, for frontline responders. So that's going to be the group that I'm working with. Really excited. Fantastic. All right. So let's uh, let's start with surprises about the conference. And so, you know, I, I was had the fortune of meeting everyone, obviously, before the conference. So and we try as best we can to, um, you know, demystify things as they come up. But you know, let's everyone try to weigh in on this one. Like, what were what were some big surprises from the conference, Eric? What about you? Would you what did you find as a surprise? Yeah. So the biggest surprise to me. Uh, so I had ten interviews, which was I, I guess one or about one less than the average. Um, I was fully expecting uh, to have very limited time to go through all the, the literature for all the different companies and make sure I felt as prepared as I could. I was actually surprised with how much time I felt like I had between the time after the briefings on Saturday to after the briefings on Sunday, 
Um, I, I felt like there was enough time in between even the individual interviews to feel like every time I was about to log into an interview, I felt absolutely prepared as ready as I could have been. Um, so that was definitely the biggest surprise to me was the amount of time I felt like I had. What do you, what do you attribute that to? Because, because that is a question I get all the, the question I get typically that I, that I can kind of connect this to is like, when are we going to find out who we're interviewing with? Because I want to have time to prepare. It's a question I probably get multiple times for multiple conferences. It's a very fair question. So what do you attribute the surprise of feeling like you had time? Yeah. And I could definitely be very unique in, in this personal assessment of, of the amount of time I had, but I feel like the company briefings and the individual briefings we had, I took as much notes as I possibly could. I mean, I rewatched them later on, but really I made my notes and everything I could figure out about that company as thorough and detailed as possible so that when I went and filled out interview preparation sheets or kind of what questions I wanted to ask and those sorts of things, um, I felt like I had all the information because I, I really went into a lot of detail during the briefings. That, that helped me a lot. Okay, super helpful. All right, Hannah, what about you? What a, what's a surprise that you that you found at the conference? The biggest surprise I had was really how conversational the questions were. And mm. it wasn't, I had prepared for the flashcard questions and I, Eric was actually in one of my study groups and we had done the conversational pieces, but it, it was really interesting to me how they were able to get information from you without you really knowing it. And so just at the one, Joel, um, no, it was Rob always said to me, always say I, not we. And that was something I had plastered on my computer. Are you sure that was Rob? Are you sure that was Rob? I think it was Rob. Uh, (laughs) It was probably, you know, it was probably everyone, but um, that was something don't think that just the casual conversation is just casual conversation. Every single thing that they're asking you, no matter how laid back it may seem, they're trying to get, they're trying to get something out of you. So that was something that surprised me the most from the conference. Boy, that is, that is good because a lot of times this is a resounding theme that I hear on these post-conference webcasts is like how conversation, I was surprised how conversational it was. And I think sometimes people can interpret that to, Oh, it's cool. I can just, you know, I can just kick it, kick back and, you know, just have a good conversation. And, and yeah, that's, that's part of it. But Hannah's point is so well taken. Like the reason that we want you to memorize the method, not memorize the answer. The reason we want you to be so familiar with how to answer interview questions is because what happens is it's not like this very sterile. Tell me about yourself. Okay, great. Why are you getting out of the military? Okay, great. Give me an accomplishment. That's what we do. Unfortunately, that's what we do at Cameron Brooks when we're interviewing you, because it's kind of it, it, we're, we're, it's, we're in a box a little bit in that way, but then you get into the interview and they're not trying to like give you a mock interview. They're trying to see if you're a fit. And so very much, it's very much a thing where it feels conversational, but they are absolutely interviewing. It just feels disguised. That's a great point. I, you know, and as many times as I've heard it, it's such conversational interview, I don't think we have ever gotten to the point, but be careful because it's an interview. It's a great point. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Hannah. All right, why go for it? Yeah, I'd say one of the biggest things um, that really surprised me, and everyone at Cameron Brooks says this, but your preferences are going to change. So I would go into the interviews and try to figure out exactly how I can connect to this job, right? Because you're doing a broad career search. And I found that, especially as an interview went on, I learned more about the company. I could be really excited for every job 
that I was applying for. And that was different than what I had going in. So having an open mind and just finding something you can connect to really helped with those interviews. All right. Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot because this is not a question I asked you before we get started. <clears throat> and I actually don't want you to give me a company name. Okay. Right. Don't give me a company name. But was the company you went working, the company you said yes to, which is Abiomed, were they your number one company going into the conference? Let's say on Wednesday when you got your company literature, did you have a number one, two, or three? I did. And Abiomed was not in the top three. Why not? Uh, it was just the lack of knowledge as far as the, what, what Abby Med did. And uh, the other thing too, Pete, I know we've talked about before going into the conference uh, sales. I didn't really have sales within any of my top references for, for a career. And then as I learned more about what sales was and how directly my military experience translates to it, I really got more excited for it. And that's how I could see really culture fit as I went into deciding. I remember the conversation you and I had, and we've, we've talked about this since, so this is not a new news to either of us, but I remember saying, oh, you'd be great for sales. You're like, nope, not for right. me. <laughs> and that's a very common response because we think sales is, you know, the whole door-to-door, -door, the whole high-pressure deal. And, and uh, yeah, that is a type of sales for sure. It's just not the type of sales we represent. So um, good stuff. I saw, the, I saw Eric and Hannah shaking your head. Same deal, right? You didn't, Eric, it was more nanotechnology at the top of your list. No, no, it was not. Um, yeah, the, the company I actually thought was at the top of my list was probably the one interview I did the absolute worst on as well. Hmm. Um, but I mean, even further, when I had the yeses sorted out and I made the list of companies uh, that I wanted to follow up with, more actually wasn't even in my top half. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I can go into more detail. But going into per in person and that in-person interview was just absolutely incredible. And I got a real good glimpse of what the company is like, what the people are like. And, and that's really what helped sell me on, on choosing more. Okay. I want to ask, I want to come back to that point. So let's hold on to that for a second. Hannah, I do want to hear from you though. So you went to Motorola Solutions and you recognized that company. I mean, you at least thought it was the edge, right? The very first time you saw it, obviously the company you're working for doesn't even deal with the edge. That's a completely different operating company within Motorola. Um, was Motorola on your top? I think it was definitely in the top half mm -hmm. uh, when we first got the information because I naturally was drawn to the companies that I knew right. and kind of like what Wyatt had said previously, after every interview, you could see yourself in that position with each company, but Motorola, I mean, yeah, really the, the phone stood out. And then once I learned more about Motorola, that's when I kind of transformed my you know, pursuit of the industry versus, you know, just wanting a cool new razor phone that, mm -hmm. you know, definitely uh, made an impact on my youth with the space gray razor. So, right. but I said that in my interview and they're like, we don't do yeah, that yeah. anymore. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> laughed at that, right? As you walk in with your iPhone. Um, yeah. uh, actually, I want to ask, I want to ask a follow-up question to that. I'm still remembering what you said, Eric, we're going to come back to that. Um, but I do want to ask a follow-up question. And then Wyatt, maybe you could weigh in on this as well. Um, what you said, Hannah, and it was really the point Wyatt made was like, I walked out of every interview or logged off of every interview in this case, thinking I could go work for that company. But if I'm interpreting what you're saying, you didn't feel that way on Wednesday when you got the companies. I guess you didn't feel that way after the company briefings, as much time, energy, and effort as we put into them. Right. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe we, you started moving in that direction. But but you said, all right, I finished the interview. 
And I said, oh, I think I could go work for them. So what happens in the interview that gets you to a point where you're like, oh, yeah, I think I can do this. So for me, especially with finance, I am not a finance background. Uh, I can do data analysis, uh, but it wasn't until I had the interview and the inter- like the recruiters were talking to me and really explained the job as you're more of that linchpin between the external and internal stakeholders and you're bringing them together. And that's, it was just a little bit of clarification on what I would be doing in that role and just talking to the individuals because you definitely, you're building, a. am going to go work for uh, three of them. And it's, you're building a relationship in that interview. And for me, that's really what sold it for me is understanding the, the job description will give you so much, but in those interviews, they're really willing to answer questions and clarify things if you show up with quality questions. You know, the point is like even the briefings that we do, I mean, we do the best we can, but, but you know, we don't, I work for Cameron Brooks, right? I'm trying to give you information about a company I don't work for. So I think that point is just incredibly well taken by me because, um, you know, I spend in each one of you before the conference, I know we spend time, even we were talking about it, Wyatt, you know, you, oh, you should look at sales and, oh, where do you want to live? And, oh, what, what do you, what kind of job do you want to do? But it's amazing the discovery that occurs in the interview and in the follow-up interview process. Eric, you're going to speak to that here in a second. Like it's the, it, the, the true search occurs, the power of comparison. Like if you're ever interested, go check out episode 116 of our podcast, the power of comparison does not occur with Pete Van Epps and Cameron Brooks before the conference. It doesn't even occur on Saturday and Sunday of the conference. The power of comparison begins on Monday of the interviewing. And so as much time as we talk about where do you want to live and what do you want to do, that's only to get you in some, some I don't know, some boxes, right? So we can develop an interview schedule for you. But then you go and do your own power of comparison or your own comparison in order in order to find out which one's right for you. So Wyatt, weigh in on that. I want to hear more about, okay, like I went into the interview or I walked out of the interview thinking, okay, I think I could go work for this company. Yeah, I'd say I was a little skeptical about a few companies, but listening to Cameron Brooks, really trusting that process too, but listening to them, you know, find something you can, you can connect to, at least one yeah. thing. And what I really found was that once you put a face to the company and they started to tell you a little bit more about what it is the company does, it was really easy for me to translate what I did in the military to what they're looking for or what that job was. And I started getting excited because you still have that leadership experience uh, and responsibilities uh, that, you know, you wouldn't even think that you could go to be a finance manager as a, you know, uh, as a pilot or a, for me, an FA officer. But I really found myself like, oh, liaisoning, I can do that. I can talk to people, sure. resource, right? And you start connecting and you start seeing yourself in that role. All right. We'll put you on the spot again. I don't know why I keep doing this to you, Wyatt, but I'm going to put you on the spot again. What do you mean you were skeptical? What were you skeptical of? I was skeptical of the, so for me, I mean, we're going to get to this layer culture fit, like my fit within the company and and see myself there. Um, You know, I've had some unique experiences in the military uh, and all of them are pleasant. And so I really wanted to figure out, you know, where is a place I could go to um, where I could see myself thriving, growing within that company. Yeah. Um, you know, we're looking, I, I, you say you look for five years. I was really looking for 10, five to 10, that long, uh, a little bit longer range. Yeah. Um, and what I really saw was as I started talking to the interviewers, um, maybe my initial um, biases were quickly overcame and I started, okay, 
this is a really nice company. You know, here are people from across different, um, a lot of the interviews, you'll have people that aren't necessarily in the role that you're looking for. They might have some different experiences within that company. So they're able to even talk about their experiences, which really quelled some of my fears I had going in initially. Gotcha. Yeah, that's helpful because that's one thing you'll never appreciate until you start interviewing and that's culture. You won't get it from me. You won't get it from the internet. You won't get it from their homepage. You you might start to feel a little bit if they have a good LinkedIn page perhaps, but boy, that culture thing starts shining through not only in the interview, but in the follow-up interview as, as well. So, all right, Eric. So you said, all right, so more was interesting. You know, I got the briefing, got the interview, but nothing, maybe it didn't pop for you. I don't know the right way to think say that, but it didn't really elevate itself until you were on site. So what happened? So you went on site for the follow-up interview. What happened? Yeah. Um, so even from the briefing, I would say I didn't fully understand exactly what the job was going to be. Hmm. Um, the interview, I, I felt like they asked uh, some you know, flashcard type questions, and then there were some more conversational questions. Um, and I was able to ask some questions that I had that, that allowed me to get a better idea of what it was. And then when I was actually on site, you know, I got to meet all the members of the team there. I mean, it's a relatively small company and I could see exactly who I'd be working with, what exactly my role was going to be. I could see exactly what the culture was like and the fact that everyone was very, very passionate about these machines that they make and they really enjoy doing a really good job and having high demand. Um, so definitely some of those aspects that stuck out to me really strongly when I was actually able to go in person ask some more questions that I had, but yeah, those were some of the things. Did you do any other in-person interviews? I did not know. Okay. So were you doing, you were doing follow, you did some follow-ups virtually over the phone as well? Yes. Yeah. So the other virtual follow-up interviews I had um, actually weren't that much different than the screening interviews. I would say, at least from my perspective, it was almost like another step in the chain where, you know, I got through the screening interview and then either who my immediate boss was going to be or somebody yeah. above them was then interviewing me, which then could have led to an in-person. Okay. Wyatt, how many in-persons did you do? I had uh, zero follow-up okay. process uh, in-person. Okay. You know, it's interesting because I asked Mary Lou that and she's like, you know, up to 75% of our uh, in-person or uh, follow-up interviews are moving to in-person. And we definitely see them increasing relative that they were you know, let's say a year or so ago, but okay, that's interesting. Um, and what about you, Hannah? How many in-persons? I had one in-person with NextEra and okay. the rest were virtual and a phone call. So you didn't even go work for the company that you went in-person with? I didn't. And they wined and dined us. Uh, so yeah. I felt well, you a got an guilty, offer from them. I know that for sure. I remember I got that. Got an offer, but, right. and it definitely made it difficult in my decision because NextEra was one that I didn't uh, Joel and uh, Rob were pushing it to keep it on the schedule. And I was just kind of like, okay, okay, we'll, we'll figure it out. And it actually, I was, it was really tough for me to make the decision because it's, it's an incredible company. Well, so you said Joel and Rob were pushing. I'll have to amend that. I'm, I'll have to edit this or something. They weren't pushing, but well, what, tell me, tell us what you meant. They so, weren't pushing. They, they, had, they knew better than I did uh, because they knew what it, it was a uh, business development job and right. they knew that it was something that I could be passionate about. And once I got down there, uh, even in the interview, it was my first interview 
And I absolutely, I loved every single person that I interacted with. And I loved what the job meant for me and just kind of the stability and the growth that I could have within the company as well as the industry. So it was, sorry, they weren't pushing it. They were, uh, they knew, they knew better than me uh, in what, what interviews I should take. So it was, it was an awesome opportunity and an awesome campus uh, down in Florida. So I, I I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Okay, so I, I instead of working through all my questions, just because I'm also looking at the uh, at the clock, I think what we'll do is I'll just field questions along the way as they come in. So there's a couple that have come in thus far, uh, and then we'll uh, and then we'll go from there. So uh, the first question it says, if you have kids, did you attend the conference at home or did any of you go to the office or a hotel? Um, does anybody have kids on this call? No kids, no kids. Okay, okay, Hannah, would you? Yeah. So, um, I have a four month old and I'm in the unique position. I can't, uh, just leave her, but I had my mom come into town and my husband and I'm off and she's actually crying her little head off right now, but, uh, I'm off in a section of the house and I just told my mom and my husband that it's their time to, to take care of the baby, but it was definitely doable. And it was also really nice because in between your interviews, you can step out and go see them and then get back in, just kind of get like a nice little refresh. Your background, your camera, your lighting, your attire. That's the one thing you have full 100% control over. You don't have control over the interview, right? Cause you only get 50, it's a 50, 50 deal. So, um, so you want to make sure that your background is as tight as you can. Again, lighting, camera, sound, everything, because it's the thing you can control the most. Thanks, Hannah. Um, I will fit further this question, though, that Joe asked about the hotel. You know, some people do interview in a hotel. I think there are some downsides to the hotel. I don't think you get as much control over your background. Um uh, you know, you got to make sure that the internet is is lickety split. You, you don't want to go to a place where the internet is spotty or or variable. You want somewhere that is as as high speed as you can get. Um, but if you're in a situation where you've got a bunch of toddlers and screaming folks running around your house, it may be the best option. So Doug asked, how many follow up interviews did you do, and how influential were they in making the final decision? I feel like we covered down on that one pretty good. Um, so we'll keep rolling there. Um, what practices did you and your study group commit to when conducting study sessions, specifically mock interview exercises? So Hannah, you spoke to that. So why don't you weigh in? We'll let everyone weigh in. Were you in a study group? How often did you meet? What did you do? Let's just kind of get into that a little bit. Yeah. So I was in two study groups and I was on terminal leave. So I had the ability uh, that the last three weeks leading up to the conference, I was meeting with one of the study groups uh, pretty much Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday um, of those weeks. And sometimes on Sunday uh, and Eric was in one of those study groups, but best practices, keep it to like three people, four at most. Don't uh, the bigger the group, the less one on one you get and definitely start out by just practicing those flashcard questions. 
But from there, we kind of transformed it into, okay, let's look at a sample job description. And then we started making it more conversational. Uh, Eric would say something about what he did on the sub. And then I would transition it into a, well, tell me how you solve a problem. Uh, but I would do it in a more conversational way. And once we realized that switch in the questions, I think it was really beneficial for us to move forward uh, like as a study group because we had already gotten the method down. Now we were able to really make it as realistic as possible. Excellent. Eric, you want to you contribute to that? Obviously, you were in a study group since Hannah said y'all met together. Uh, tell me more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I met, like we mentioned, once up to twice a week. Um, like Hannah mentioned, it, it developed from the flashcard questions into a more conversational interview. But really, I think the mindset that helped me the most in attending those study sessions was coming in with the idea of things that I'm very uncomfortable about, things that I felt like I needed to work on. Uh, I think it's easy to practice in some of these interviews and just do the things you feel comfortable with or answer the questions you feel like you've answered you know, a thousand times. But really, forcing yourself to practice the ones, the questions and, and conversations that you're not as comfortable discussing. Um, that was one of the biggest helps to me. And I think that developed a lot because of the conversational style. So I, I had no idea what Hannah was going to ask me. Right. Um, but I, yeah, I think allowing yourself to be uncomfortable, getting the practice in, in those sessions, uh, I think it will only help prepare you really, really well for the actual conference. I was in a meeting, a Bible study the other night with my wife and a couple of other couples, and we were watching a video of a guy, and he said, uh, what did he say? He said, repetition is the mother of preparation. Repetition is the mother of preparation. And he was making a completely different point about something unrelated to interviewing. But I, my mind, unfortunately, I was like, this is supposed to be a Bible study. And I was like thinking about interviewing. I'm like, man, I got to tell people that. That is because it's what you're saying repetition, it really leads that preparation. And, and we've seen that over and over. Obviously, this is a resounding theme from these, um, from these post-conference webcasts. What about you, Wyatt? Tell us about your study group. Yeah, absolutely. I had a fantastic study group. Uh, regularly, we met uh, with about three other individuals, so four total. And we started about two months before the conference, uh, met weekly. Then I think the month of the conference, because we're at the end of January, we met like two or three times per week. And yeah. it really was, we started off flashcard uh, questions, and we were working on the ones we were really weak at. And then near the end, it was very conversational. And it was, we were just going to go off on random tangents about, you know, oh, you say this about your experience. Tell me more about that. Or, or you know, and, and it's really, uh, we did pick a company or a job specific to that company and have you try to interview for that position. And so you'd have to curtail your experience and the questions to what you think that, you know, how this would best fit with that job. So even though we would have the same uh, question. So you'd be answering it different ways each time we met. Beautiful. Just two things real quick before we move on. So for those that are on the uh, coming up to the next couple of conferences, you've gotten an email with a study list on there. And the two things I say about study groups is one, they're hard to start. And two, there is a palpable difference between those that attend a, career, a study group and those that don't from a from a prep perspective. But in that email that you get, there's a link to a video that describes a crawl, walk, run, which is essentially what they're all describing. Start very basic flashcard questions, then take out a job description, and then find your way into conversational interviews. It's the right way to do it. The second thing I'll tell you is there's a YouTube video on our channel called Conversational Interviewing. It's funny, we 
I'd, I'd laugh if I went back and looked at it right now. We did it in like on April 1st of 2020 when we knew we were moving for our very first ever virtual conference. So we were like, well, let's do a interview like virtually to show them what it might look like. And, uh, and I still think it's viable. It's probably a little awkward and we didn't do it right. We gave ourselves feedback at the end, but, uh, but I still think it's helpful. Okay. Moving. I have one, one oh, more yeah, thing please. to add with the please study do. groups. Since I was two months in, uh, like with Cameron Brooks, I joined a study group late. And the biggest thing I can say is it kind of piggybacks off what Eric said. Do not be embarrassed. Just leave, leave like just show up and everybody's going to be at a different stage. Eric and Brett were awesome and they helped me, you know, kind of speed up that crawl, walk, run. And that was the only way I was going to get up to speed in the like the a shorter timeline that I had. So don't don't be afraid of a study group. Just reach out and everyone is willing to help uh, with that. Beautiful. Um, question from Chris. I don't know if you can see this, Eric, but uh, Chris said, uh, will it be available? Yes, it will. And then uh, Chris is a guy that Eric knew from uh, early on in their Navy career. So thumbs up to that. That's awesome. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you saying that. Um, Okay, so um, Caleb says, how difficult was it to recognize the type of questioning they were asking? And I hope uh, Caleb's asking this because one of the things we say all the time is memorize the method, don't memorize the answer. So if you know the seven methods, when you receive a question, you can identify, oh, this is a significant accomplishment. Oh, this is a process methodology. And so Caleb's question is, was it difficult or how difficult was it to recognize the type of question that they were asking. Why, why don't you feel that one? Yeah, I'd say the, the big thing about conversational interfering was that uh, obviously not gonna ask you the same questions necessarily as what Cameron Brooks gave you, but yes. having that base knowledge and understanding, uh, they would ask me something completely different. And I would just instantly be able to know, oh, hey, this is a really good time for me to plug in this experience I have with a significant accomplishment. Or they might be asking you know, a specific uh, a question and I have to think through the methodology. It was really simple once you have that base understanding. And that's why the, the study groups are just so uh, valuable for you to going into the, to the conference. Cool. Uh, John said, I saw there was a Google Meet Zoom Microsoft Teams request Anything else? Did anyone use like WebEx? Any any other thing besides Meet, Zoom, and Teams? You had a WebEx, Hannah? I had, I had a WebEx, but it was super easy to yeah. set up and easy to navigate. Yeah. And one of the things we'll do, John, is before the conference, we'll do a dress rehearsal. And those are the four that we tell you to build profiles for. You can go ahead and do it now, but we'll, we'll give you the heads up on that. Um, if I could... Uh, I'm, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I want to jump in on John's question there, too. Um, I, I don't think it's that difficult to recognize the question types. But if you are completely answering the wrong question, I mean, it happened a few times and they literally stopped me and they're like, that sounds great. I'm actually looking for something more in this region. Um, but even so, they'll also make it flow really nicely. We're like, oh, like, that sounds great. Can you tell me like another time you did something maybe more specific in this area? So. Overall, I didn't think it was that difficult to recognize the type of questions, but if you have questions about the question they asked, you can obviously ask them to reiterate or go into more detail on exactly what they're looking for. That's absolutely appropriate. Such a good point. Yeah. Like, like sometimes you will be answering the wrong question or have a little bit of a, uh, I wish it, you know, not saying it right. And else it's, it's just a conversation. So I think sometimes people walk into the interviews initially thinking it's a bit of a murder board. So in the, I know in the Navy, in the nuclear community, you guys do that all the time, but 
it's just not as painful as that. So um, John also asked about uh, Eric's background. He said the chart behind him, the map, I guess, did that, was that, I don't remember, Eric, was that part of your interview? No, you weren't in No, I, I had it off the wall when I actually okay. did my interviews, but I just left okay. it up for, for this. Uh, yeah. And I think it, I mean, if you do have something like that, you all, like Hannah has that plant. Uh, if Eric were to have that, I would say move it, like get it off center so you can actually see what it is. And then the other thing is like, you know, Eric's not interviewing, obviously, but if he were, I'd say, all right, we'll find a different chair because you don't want those things coming up off, off your shoulder. No big deal tonight, obviously, but, but yeah. So you took, I didn't, I don't remember. So you took that map down. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, again, things are, things like that are fine. Very simple things. You got a diploma, you got a map, you got some, you know, a guy was a golfer and he had a, a U.S. open poster from when the open was at, um, I forgot what the course was in Tacoma, Washington. I, I'd have to, if I start, keep talking, I'd think about it. But anyway, he had some cool poster and it was off to the side and it was a bit of a conversation piece. So if you have something like that, that might be okay. I would encourage you not, you know, if you got a, a bayonet because you were in the death dealers company or whatever, like I wouldn't have stuff like that in, in your background. I don't know that that's appropriate. I've seen that before, but so just, you know, something real tasteful. All right, let's keep going. Scott says, did you use notes from your company literature during the interview? Did you feel that it was overwhelming, that it was an overwhelming amount of information? So, Eric, I'm going to let you tackle that one because you spoke to that earlier. Why don't you field that question for us? Yeah, I absolutely use notes. Um, so I made myself sticky notes that I had all around the outside of my computer, but I tried to keep it simple where I put down my major accomplishments that I felt like most closely related to the job, I wrote down the specific questions I wanted to ask, and then also what my interest level was. So I, I had those three topics in sticky notes. I did not feel like it was overwhelming at all. Um, I think the strategy call that happens on, was that Monday night, I think, um, whenever it was. And I think Joel mentioned that, you know, if you're one of the one of the problems that some of the candidates were were seeing in their interviews was they weren't connecting well to the job or their questions weren't detailed enough. So I really tried to hone down on one or two in each of those topics. So like one or two major accomplishments that really do connect to the job, one or two solid questions that I can dig deeper into with follow-up questions, and then one or two things about the company that really interested me. Okay. And keeping it that simple, I felt like was not overwhelming at all. I want, I want to hear from all three of you on this. What about you, Hannah? What did you do for, you know, did you have notes? What was your, what was your strategy on that? Yeah. So for my notes for the company, I actually, I have a MacBook and you can do sticky notes. And what I did is I would put hey who I was interviewing with, what the position was. And from those briefings on Saturday and Sunday, I would type out, hey, what is the essence of the job? why for this, like why finance, why Motorola. But the big thing I would really hit on is, are those core competencies. And so I'm looking at the one I have right now and it was cross-functional leadership, uh, influencing data-driven problem solving, continuous improvement. And so I would have that, I kind of divided my screen, three quarters of it was for the interview. Yeah. And then the other uh, quarter was for that sticky note. And then off to the side of my computer, I just had Hey, how do I solve a problem? What are my major accomplishments? Just so I could make sure that if I, I ever got stopped up uh, and 
had kind of like a brain fart, I'd be able to just look at that and be able to keep going. So that's, it was very organized. Um, and then I also had my questions written out so I could, I, I looked like I, I was looking at them, but really I was, I was looking at my question and then also able to maintain eye contact. Well, and I want to make a point before Wyatt jumps in and that's a good point. Like I like the idea of using a little note or a sticky note or something on your, on the, on your actual desktop computer. Um, or, you know, you can use like a piece of paper and stick it up there, obviously. But the thing is like, don't have like your sticky note down there, you know, or over here, or you're looking out to the side, you have to be, there's gotta be a little bit of, um, there's gotta be some slyness to it. You know what I mean? You have to be like looking at the camera. So your stuff has to, you know, you could be like thinking and you're actually looking at it. You're like, okay, now come back to the, you got to keep coming back to the camera as you're maintaining eye contact. And so I think that's a big deal. I think that's pretty important is to keep trying to engage the camera. It's not easy to do. Um, and that's why I recommend like try to put everything, uh, Hannah was saying the same thing, try to put everything around your camera, not way off into the distance. Why go for it. Yeah, I'll touch on that real quick. Uh, I use tape, so sticky notes and tape, and I had one on either side of the, the camera lens itself. So I would just yep. quickly look at it. Um, and then also I had a notebook out and I was actually writing down, uh, you know, information from the interview itself, but it's just real quick to look down, write something and look back at them and try to make eye contact with the cameras as long as possible before taking a note. Um, but as far as uh, writing those notes too, one of the big things um, that Cameron Brooks talks about as well, and it's, I think it's really important going through the interviews is to have a level two questions uh, that you can ask the companies. And what I saw, you want to try to get one or two. I asked, I think, about five or six in all of my interviews and had to really just keep going back and forth uh, like a tennis match as where I was asking a question that would answer it led to another question. So I'd have at least two really good in-depth questions that show that, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in the position and how I can find myself into that position and answer, you know, and solve that problem for them. I'm going to put close. I'm going to put a, uh, let me just put a huge exclamation point on that. On March 15th, for, for those of you coming to the April conference, I'm going to teach you how to, he used the phrase level two questions. The people that know how to ask questions well in a conference will always do better. I know that's an absolute statement, not my favorite thing, statements, type of statements to make, but I know it to be true. So we're going to put a pin on that for now, just because I want to get to another couple of questions. But for those coming to every conference, but certainly for the next one, March 15th, I'm doing a uh, webcast essentially, and that's going to be a huge part of it. So stay tuned. Thank you for that plug, Wyatt. I do appreciate it. All right. So here we go. Next question. The strategy conversations Tuesday and later that week, I think it, he means Tuesday night of the conference and later that week after the conference seem short. How much do you talk with the Cameron Brooks team outside of those two windows to drive decision-making during the follow-up interview process? So. Yeah, speak to that. Like, obviously, we're talking almost every day before the conference. We're talking a lot before the conference. What about in the follow-up interview process? Uh, Eric, why don't you take a swing at that one? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, after any follow-up interview or emails or phone calls you receive from the companies, you always call Cameron Brooks. So I, I called them probably at, at least four to five times a week with random information. Um I had two strategy calls with Chuck because I feel like my situation was interesting in the fact that I, I had an offer from one company uh, more that I needed to make a decision on basically by the end of the weekend. And I hadn't yet had the follow-up to the follow-up interviews for some of the other companies. Um, 
So, I mean, really, I, I feel like it was as much as I wanted to talk to them and really get their input. It's not like they're requiring you to talk with them on regular basis, but I think the resource is there. If you wanted to talk to anyone from Cameron Brooks, you absolutely can. So I had a couple phone calls and, and some check-ins and talking about how the follow-up interviews went. Uh, but besides that, that was what I experienced. I want, I want you guys, the, maybe Hannah, you can weigh in on that as well. But before I, before I do that, um, I want you guys to know, for those that are coming to the conference, there's a follow-up team. There's a group of uh, seven, eight people. And every one of them knows exactly where you are every minute of the day, at least as it relates to interviewing. You are not like, okay, great conference. Good luck on the follow-up. Let us know how it goes. <laughs> no, no. We are extremely interested, or I'm sorry, interested for sure, and involved in the follow-up interview process. Anything to add to that, Hannah? Yeah, so for me, I think I talked almost every day uh, for a while there with someone from the follow-up team uh, because with my interview with Nextera, I received an offer almost, I think within 24 hours of going down there, but I still hadn't heard back from the other two that I wanted to have a follow-up interview with. So I was constantly, Lauren probably has my phone number memorized by now, um, just asking her questions, giving them feedback on how interviews went because they also want to know, hey, what type of questions did they ask? How did it go? And so you're providing them just as much information um, as they've provided you. So then hopefully some of that information they can you know, pass on to the next conference. But it was, I could pick up the phone and make a phone call. And, you, and especially the big thing is before any follow-up interview, you have a phone call with Chuck and Chuck's going to go more in depth as to hey, this is what they're looking for in this interview. And he answers any follow-up questions. Like, this is probably how it's going to go. This is what they're looking for. Um, so at no point did I ever feel like I didn't have someone to talk to. Great. We're, uh, we're up against the clock, but I really want to try to get to all the questions. And so now we're going to do a little bit of a quick hit round robin. So we're going to go fast on these. Um, Sorry, I started scrolling down. Okay, here we go. So let's just go, let's go round robin. Wyatt, you pick up this one. What does your timeline look like from when you accepted your offer to when you start? Like, when do you get going here? You accepted when, you start when? Yeah, I accepted uh, at the end of February and I don't start till April 13th. Um, mm -hmm. And I just, I'm not out of the military yet. I'm not on terminal leave yet, but that was my experience like a month and a half or so. And that's about right, 60, 90, maybe 120 days. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Eric, we'll just do this round robin. What's the hardest part and tips on how you translated your skills from your job in the military? So you're, you're a submariner to corporate terms. Like, I think the question is, do you convert like, you know, a nuclear engine to like some word in corporate America? I think it's a, it's a, it's a word for word translation question. Did you do that? Um. I mean, no, but it definitely took some practice. I felt like practicing questions and verbalizing a lot of what I did and focusing on not using Navy terms was the easiest way for me to learn how to translate what I did. I mean, it's easy to get in the weeds with like, oh, I did this, that, and the other, all in Navy terms. And Hannah was there in some of my study groups and she'd be like, I don't really know what you're saying. <laughs> and the, the, it's that practice that really helped in uh, verbalizing those. And the thing is, you guys, if you use a, a term, a, mil a familiar military term, use the term, 
Um, but then you gotta, you're going to have to define it. So give it a sentence, not more than that, probably, but give it a sentence and then move on. They're not looking for, let's say you were a, a, a company commander. They don't want you to use the word supervisor or whatever. It's not a word for word translation type of deal. It's more of a, if you thought for thought, if you will, type of translation. All right. I don't know if I understand this question, but I'm going to read it and let's see, if, Hannah, you just see if you can figure it out. How did the questions of you evolve between initial and follow-up interviews? I guess, I guess what I'm interpreting is, did the questions change? What kind of questions did you get at the conference? Were they different than in the follow-up interview process? Yeah, so definitely at the conference, it was they were trying to get to know you and what you had done. In the follow-up interview, it was definitely more tailored to okay, you're in this position. What are you going to do in this position? And it, it, it kind of changed a little bit. When I went to NextEra, I got a case, which I wasn't expecting a case. So it was, which hey- means, this, what? Sorry to interrupt you. What does that sorry. mean? So a case for me was they gave me a specific like verbiage. Uh, so it was net efficiency factor, which I just kind of guessed that. I ended up getting it right. Um, and then it was- Hey, what, what does this mean to you? And I basically had to calculate the efficiency of a plant in a year and it ended up being like $4.18 million annually. And I, it was public math. Um, but it, he, the guy that I was interviewing with was just like, yeah, this is what you would be doing on a regular basis. So it was, they real life just put you in it and they start asking you questions as if you were in, you know, the business development role, um, at that time. So it was, it was a little bit more fast paced, but if you study, if you study the organization, you study the job, you will be totally prepared for it because you already, that methodology is something you can absolutely lean back on. And then you just have to do a little public math sometimes and it's fine. And a lot of times that public math, even if you get the answer wrong, it's kind of more along the lines of, I want to know how you think. I want to see how you think. Okay. Wyatt, tell us about Tuesday morning. What kind of feedback did you receive from either me or Joel or Rob and how did it impact you on the second day? I think I'm the wrong person to ask. I, I didn't get any feedback. I, I was told, Hey, whatever you're doing, keep it up uh, for me. So. Okay. Fair enough. Let's keep rolling. I'm going to come back to you with the next question. What about you, Eric? Did you get feedback? And I don't want to know the feedback, but how did it go and how did you use it? Absolutely. I know I, I definitely got feedback. Uh, the feedback, I know you said not to say it, but it was that I, I struggled to connect really well with my experiences to the jobs um, on a, a couple of the interviews. So I know I mentioned earlier in the study groups, I talked about not or letting yourself be uncomfortable and practicing those things. I think in some of the interviews I had on Monday, I still did focus a little heavily on the questions and accomplishments that I felt very, very comfortable talking about and then some of the other accomplishments that I maybe hadn't practiced as much or didn't feel as confident in discussing, uh, some of those did pertain and connect better to the jobs um, than the ones that I had been talking to before. So I felt like on Tuesday, I just went at it and I was like, no matter what accomplishment it is, I need to connect this one to the job because that's the one that fits best. So that feedback really helped me. And I, I felt like I did really, really well on Tuesday because of that. Cool. That's awesome. All right. So this actually is for you, Wyatt, from Alex. He's a field artillery officer like yourself. And I think this can relate to everyone on the call. Did you find it challenging to relate your experience? Did you lean heavy on the liaison word or piece that you mentioned earlier? 
Uh, I wouldn't say I leaned heavily on it. Um, uh, I probably used the word maybe once or twice during uh, sales interviews. But besides that, like you were saying, Pete, really what I was doing was just explain my military. And if I had to use something or try to explain the idea, I would just use a sentence to say, this is what I did, you know, provide a service, field artillery service, you know, indirect fires. I would just try to translate it within a sentence before continuing on with my accomplishment. Got it. Uh, Lupe, I, I can answer your first question. None of the folks on this call it, it went through what, what you and Francisco go through, but we'll, do, we'll deal with your second question. Uh, Hannah, how often does a company try to get you to make a decision ASAP? For me, I didn't have a company that even though uh, I, the conference ended on a Tuesday and I was down in Florida in person the following Monday for an interview that Tuesday, and they gave me an offer by Wednesday. But they they were very understanding. If they've worked with Cameron Brooks, I feel like they're very understanding that you have a field of interviews that you're going through. So I never felt the pressure to make a decision immediately. But I think Eric might have been given different timelines versus I was just fortunate that I wasn't given any specific timelines. Sure. Eric, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah. Um, so in the follow-up process, when they said, you know, we want a decision by Monday, that was still a relatively soft decision. I mean, they wanted me, if I could, to give an answer by Monday. Um, I, when I had the conversation with with Chuck, it basically came down to, no matter what, give them the answer on Monday, whether it's a yes or a no, just so you're not dragging your feet. But some of the companies will offer an extra day or two of flex. Um, so that was my experience. I would say more times than not, that's the deal. But you know, it's the other side of that coin is they've got, they've all got open positions. They're all pursuing candidates, and so you know, they, it's a little bit of a give and take in that one. All right, last question. We're left, we're a little against the uh, or over the clock here, but that's good because it's been a great session. One more. Did anyone get offered a remote position, even if it was not initially labeled remote? No, no, and yes. Tell us about that, Hannah. Yeah, so that was the big thing is uh, I never went into an interview asking for remote. Um, my husband and I were currently living in two different states. Um, and then it just happened with one of the interviews that they offered a position. They said that remote was, it, they could make it available. Um, they didn't give a guarantee, but they did say within, you know, where my husband was living, that remote could be an option. Um, so that was, it did happen. I ended up not, not going with that company. Um, but it did happen just when they were trying to get to know us. Uh, and I said, Hey, my husband lives in Michigan. They're like, Oh, we actually, we might have a place in Michigan or we can work with that. So that was my experience with that. I think what I'm seeing with remote you all is just getting smaller and smaller. And, you know, even the, the officers that I've seen do remote, um, it's just hard with remote because you're making this industry move and there's no quote water cooler time. It's, you know, what do you do when the zoom calls over, you log off as quickly as possible. And so it's just, a, it's just hard. I'm not, I don't mean to downplay remote because there are some opportunities that are set up very nicely. And if it works for you, then that could be okay. Um, we're just seeing fewer and fewer of that. I think companies really want to embrace this non-traditional source of officers, these candidates that they don't usually hire. They want you on site. They want to put their arms around you. They want to help you really transition well. So just a little bit on that. Okay. 
You all, that was a great session. Uh, sometimes these go a little bit shorter. Sometimes you go a little bit longer, but uh, what a great, what a great conversation. Thanks for spending over an hour with us. Uh, congratulations to everyone. It, I know it feels great. I know I, we were talking about it before we hit the record button. Um, yeah, you got a job you got to go do in a month or so, but uh, for this sweet time in between where you're leaving and where you're coming, uh, really savor it and enjoy it because it is definitely a sweet time. Congratulations to everyone. Thanks again for being on the call. As you all know, you can call me directly. I'll help you in any way I can. Uh, other than that, thank you. Have a great night. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to this podcast and uh, getting perspective from Hannah and Eric and Wyatt, of course, three of our most recent alumni from the January 2023 conference. I hope, I hope their perspective and I hope their experience and sharing their experience has been helpful to you in thinking about your transition, your upcoming career conference. Uh, if this is new to you, if you want to know more about who we are and what we do, I'd encourage you to check us out at our website, cameron-brooks.com. You can also call and speak to me or one of my team members. Call directly at 210-874-1519. In our next episode, my colleague Joel Junker is going to talk a little bit about how to negotiate an offer. It's one of the questions we get probably the most around here at Cameron Brooks, military officers looking for some guidance and perspective on negotiating offers in the interview process. So stay tuned for that one. That'll be coming at you in about two weeks from now. Until then, make it a great day.